Well, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 7 today. Welcome to those of you who may be joining us online or those that might be watching by way of television, listening to the podcast. Special welcome to those of you over in auditorium too. So glad that you are with us and here today. At the end of the service, we are going to join in a time of communion together. So hopefully when you came in today, you received the communion elements. If not, they're right outside the entrances on both the, uh, the lower level and the upper level. If you're, if you're joining us by way of television or online, I hope you'll take a moment and uh, find something that will represent the bread and the cup so you can join with us at the Lord's table here in just a little while. You ever been on a road trip, like on a long road trip, where you've spent hours, maybe even days in the car, or you're flying and you're going multiple flights? I think of, of the, the, those that were in that missions video and so excited for them. And I also think I know the trips that they have ahead, <laughs> right? They're long. And what can happen is sometimes you get in a trip like that and you're spending all that time in the car and you start to think that everything you're doing is about the trip and you forget about the destination. Like you're just so wrapped up in the trip that when you finally get there, you get out of the car and you're like, oh, we're here, now what do we do? <laughs> like we've arrived, what do we do now? We have been on a road trip and today we wrap up our journey with the Sermon on the Mount. We started this back in October of last year in Matthew chapter five. It has taken us nine months. You could have had a baby. And if you are, you must name it Matthew now, all right? That's the, it's, it's been 25 sermons, not counting a couple of first Wednesdays when we, when we jumped into Matthew. We have talked about the Beatitudes. We've looked at how Jesus flipped the script on some of the classic Old Testament passages. We learned from Jesus a model for how to pray he helped us understand what a hypocrite is. We learned about stewardship. We explored the idea of worry. We found building blocks for our lives, things like judge not, ask, seek, knock, how to live out the golden rule. And now we're here. This is how it ends. We have reached the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus, when he brings this whole thing for a landing, he, he has these ways that he kind of unpacks it a little bit. And at the very end, you remember he's given us some illustrations to kind of force how important this is. Do you remember when he talked about the narrow gate? Where he said, look, there's a narrow gate, there's this narrow road, and, and the wide road and the large gate are over here. Many will go that way, but only a few find the way into God's kingdom. And, and then he talked about the false prophets. Remember when we talked about false prophets? And ultimately he said, you have to examine the fruit in your own life. He talked to us a couple of weeks ago um, about the, the two builders, the one who built on the rock and who built on the sand. That was out under the tent. Anybody remember being under the tent? Anybody remember being here today? Okay, all right, I'm just making sure, right? And he said, he said, if you do what he says, you've built on the rock. If not, you're building your life on the shaky foundation of the sand. And then, before we get to Matthew chapter eight, Matthew chapter eight's gonna be fun. We start seeing some miracles happen. We start seeing some really exciting things take place. But before we get there, there's this transitional statement. Jesus finishes his sermon Three chapters, one of the most pivotal teachings in all of humanity, and this is what we read. Matthew chapter seven, verse 28. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority 
not as their teachers of the law. That, that phrase there, when Jesus had finished saying these things, you're gonna see that again. It's this transitional statement Matthew uses multiple times to step out of some teaching that Jesus does and kind of back into the rest of the narrative. And we read this here, and it's interesting because it says that the people were amazed, that they were dumbfounded by what they had heard, what they had seen. This is how it ends. And here we are at the end of our road trip journey, and you and I have to ask ourselves a question. We're here, what do we do? <laughs> the question is, what will you do with the Sermon on the Mount? This incredible teaching that Jesus gives on how to live in his kingdom, what are you gonna do with it? How do you live it out? How does it affect you? Let's maybe take that question one step deeper, not just the Sermon on the Mount, but what will you do with the teachings of Jesus? Like everything he said, because what he says is, if you are going to build your life in a way that is stable, if you're gonna have a life that will last, you need to build on my teachings. You need to do, don't just know it, you need to do what it says. Which takes us then maybe even to a deeper question, not just the Sermon on the Mount, not just his teachings, but what will you do with Jesus? The person of Jesus, his life in your life. What we're gonna do for the next few moments is kinda Look at this wrap-up to the Sermon on the Mount. We're, we're gonna look here at the people's response. I'm gonna give you three things to consider today as we look at this. We're gonna look at the people's response, and then we're gonna go back. We have to, we have to go back, because I think we've looked at just about every word that Jesus spoke in the Sermon on the Mount, except for three verses. There were three we just kind of glossed over, and they're extremely important, and that's where we'll spend most of our time today. I want to give you three things to consider as we wrap up this teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. And what we see is the response that people have. And, and one of these things is that the crowds were amazed. Like it says that they heard his teaching and they were amazed. Have you ever, have you ever read a book and you get to the end of it and you close it? Maybe I should have just stopped with, have you ever read a book? Anybody? Maybe we'll, maybe we'll okay, good, good. <laughs> you don't have, to, don't have to raise your hand. The, the smirk tells me enough. Let's go, let's go this way. Have you ever watched a movie? You ever watched a movie? There's my people. Okay, so you, you get to the end of the movie, and we just watched one not too long ago, and when it was done, I literally looked down at Rhonda and Evan, and I just went, like, I just I couldn't believe it. But the way that that thing ended, I was, I was amazed. I'm standing there with my mouth hanging open, things flying in and out. I'm just, oh. And that's how the people were. The Bible says literally, they were dumbfounded. They were so impacted by what he had said. Matthew chapter seven, verse 28. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. They're blown away. This is, this is key for you to see. When they heard him, they were amazed at his teaching. That's, that's how it impacted the crowds. This, this word is important, the things that are said there. It was life-changing, it was bold, it was practical, it was challenging. His words impacted them. They were encouraged, they were filled with hope. They were also convicted and called to a place of repentance. They were amazed at his teaching. What they heard dumbfounded them. But then look at the next verse. Why, why were they amazed at his teaching? Verse 29, because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. 
He taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. So the teachers of the law are the scribes, they're the Pharisees, they're the, they're the rabbis, they're the people that are teaching. And they said, there's something different about the way that Jesus taught. Understand this, if you, if you were a rabbi, you had been given authority. If you were a scribe, someone had given you authority to stand with the scroll, to stand and teach, and to say, thus saith the Lord. But when Jesus taught, he didn't say, thus saith the Lord. You know what Jesus said? He said, I say to you. Because Jesus didn't teach by anyone's authority. He taught with authority. He was God. He didn't have to go get it from somebody else. He had it. And the people said, there's something different about this guy. When he teaches, it's palpable. There is some anointing that is powerful. And this is how Matthew sums it up. He says, the people were amazed. But here's the first thing I want you to consider. Number one, amazement is not enough. It's ironic. Matthew says they were amazed, but he doesn't say they believed. He doesn't say they had faith. As we watch the story, there'll be multiple times where the crowd is amazed, but it doesn't mean they became followers. And if you're gonna be a follower of Jesus, if if you're gonna find yourself in his kingdom, that amazement, it's not enough. I was talking with a friend the other day. I'd seen some pictures online that he had gone to a concert with his kids. And I said, hey, how how was the concert? And he said, well, just to be honest with you, I'm really not a fan of the music. I really don't like the artist that much. Now, the show, the concert was amazing. Like it was, The production value, the, the sound, the whole experience, it was awesome. I'm just not that big of a fan. So the next time music comes out, he's probably not spending money on it. But ask him about the concert, it was amazing. Ask people what they thought of the Sermon on the Mount, oh, it was amazing. The stuff he said, you gonna follow? I don't know yet. Amazement, it's not enough. And, and, and know this, you can be amazed and still not follow Jesus. There are a lot of people who are amazed by Jesus. There's a lot of people who like Jesus, the things they like about Jesus. They, they like when he's loving. They like when he's wise. They love it when he's doing miracles, when he's healing people. But just because there's parts of Jesus' life that you like, that doesn't mean that you're following him. You, you might like watching online because of the way it makes you feel. Or you might like coming to church because the people are nice. Maybe after a tough week, the pastor says something that encourages you or that it rings with truth and you're looking for some truth in your life. You, you can be amazed, but amazement is not enough. I, I, I can't stress this enough. That just because there's things that amaze you about Jesus, just because there's things you like about his story, that's, that's not enough. I, track with me for a minute, because we're, we're, gonna, we're gonna do a little backtracking a little bit. We've, we've talked about how the crowds felt at the end, but there's three verses we haven't looked at where Jesus teaches. This is just before he talks about the wise and the foolish builder, like just before he brings it into how are you gonna build your life. And these might be the most impactful verses in this whole sermon, and without a doubt, some of the most chilling passages in all of scripture. Matthew chapter seven, verse 21, Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, 
but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Wait a minute, Chad. Didn't didn't Paul say in Romans chapter 10 that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved? Anybody ever heard that before? Yes, it's there. And now Jesus says, you say, Lord, Lord, you're not getting in. Like, is there a contradiction there? No, not at all. Here's why. So what Paul says to us is that if you'll simply call on the name of the Lord, you can be saved because you can't do it on your own. Are we saved because we're so righteous? Yes or no? (laughs) Are we saved because of our good deeds? Yes or no? No, the only way that we find forgiveness, the only way that we find life, the only way that we find salvation is because of the sacrifice that Jesus made. We will share in communion in just a little while, and we will remember that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, for my sins. He paid the price for our sins. And it's only because of his love and his kindness and his mercy and his grace that we can know him. But once we've experienced that, once we know that, we, we, the scripture says, confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. It's that simple. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about people here who are all talk. <laughs> They're quick to say, Lord, Lord. And they acknowledge his amazing life. But just saying, Lord, Lord, is not enough. He says, you can't just say it. You have to do what he says. Maybe a, a good way to consider this is Parents, or even if you've ever babysat or ever been around children, you know what it's like for siblings to be alone together. And all of a sudden, a parent walks in the room and you find headlocks and wrestling moves and and bullying and one child is going after the other child and you have this going on. Can anybody relate to what I'm talking about? And you walk in and you grab them and you say, we love Jesus and we don't act like that. You put their heads next to each other and you say, look at him and tell him, look at her and tell her you love them. So you say, ask for forgiveness. Tell them, you, I love you. You know, you do the whole thing. And you say, I'm the world's best parent. And they hug and it works for 97 seconds, right? You walk out of the room, WrestleMania breaks out all over again. And you realize they said they were sorry. They asked for forgiveness. They said there would be a change. And they said, but it was just talk. (laughs) And they didn't live it. And this is what Jesus is calling out. I don't use these words as a scare tactic. In fact, I think you know this. Like, we're just working our way through the Gospel of Matthew. I didn't even ask to preach this today. I told somebody after the last service, a friend of mine says he's like the UPS guy. He says, I don't make the packages. I just drive the truck. Here's, here's the package, Matthew 7, 22. Jesus says, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Jesus says, then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. That's one of the most frightening passages in the whole book, don't you think? Why does, why does the God of love reject them? Because their profession was verbal and not moral. It was from their lips only and not their life. They said, Lord, Lord, and then never gave him any lordship. It was all saying and no doing. 
John Stott, in his commentary on the Sermon on the Mount, says, we who claim to be Christians in our day have made a profession of faith in Jesus privately in conversion and publicly in baptism. We appear to honor Jesus by referring to him as the Lord or our Lord. We recite the creed in church and sing hymns of expressive devotion to Christ. We even exercise a variety of ministries in his name. But he is not impressed by our pious and orthodox words. He still asks for evidence of our sincerity in good works of obedience. We see in what Jesus is teaching us here that amazement is not enough. Here's the second thing I want you to consider. Number two, playing the part is not enough. Just because you do Christian things, just because you go to church, just because you act like a Christian doesn't mean you're a follower of Jesus. Look, and I, I, know, I know that some of us have, maybe even for years, had some of these spiritual practices in our lives. We, we've been faithful in some of those things. But if we've never truly had a relationship with him, just playing the part is not enough. You know what the word hypocrite actually means? The word hypocrite comes from the same Greek root where you're talking about someone who is an actor. A hypocrite, somebody who just plays the part. I mean, we could say it this way, just because you wear the jersey, it does not mean you're on the team. When I was probably about 10 years old, many of you were here last July and were introduced to my brother, Tim. Do you remember when Tim was here last year? We had good preaching for a change. Do you remember that on that Sunday? And um, when, when Tim was, when I was probably about 10 years old, Tim was probably in his early 20s. He was a part of this really unique traveling music group that would travel to different like business conventions and all these things. They would do performances and this kind of stuff. And anytime they were in this part of the country, our family would try to go and see them. And I can remember one of those, one of those times that we went, I mean, in, my, in my mind, I think it was in Cleveland somewhere, we were there. And it was in this convention center, this big kind of place. And I had kind of been hanging out with, the, with the, you know, your 10-year-old. You can be back with all these musicians. You can go backstage. It was like the coolest thing in the world. And I was with the keyboard player, the guy that was playing the keys. And I can remember we were backstage, and I'm just, you know, just looking at everything, taking everything in. And the keyboard guy was over here, and I kind of wandered off over here. And that's when security found me. And they look at this 10-year-old punk that's just wandering around backstage. I says, what are you doing back here? You can't be back here. You, you don't belong here. And they started to say, you know, get out of here. We don't know you. And just as they were about to kick me out, I heard Tom, the keyboards player's voice over here. I'll never forget his words. And he said, hey, leave him alone. He's with the band. I was like, I'm with the band. That's the coolest thing anybody ever said about me. Still, that's the coolest thing. He's with the band. Do you know what Jesus has done for us? Our sin has separated us from God. And Jesus died on the cross so that on that judgment day when we stand before him, you know what he's gonna say? Because of me, he's with the band. His sins are forgiven. She's a follower of me. But this passage says you could have the other reality. You have a choice to make. If you walk out of here with with nothing else in your mind, know this. You have a choice to make. And amazement is not enough. Playing the part is not enough. You have a choice to make. If we had more time, we'd go back and we'd review what Jesus said about the, the narrow gate 
that only a few go through, but, but many will go down that other road. If we had time, we'd go back and talk about what he said about bearing good fruit, that by your fruit, that's, that's how you'll be known. If we had time, we'd go back and we'd review that story of the, the house on the rock and the house on the sand. That's one of my flannel graph favorites. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like, I still picture it from Sunday school when I was a kid. Little cartoony house on the rock, little cartoony house on the sand. What a cute little story. Bet we can sing a song about it. And then I read Jesus' words again. And when you read it, he's not being cute. He says, you choose. You want to thrive or you want your life to fall apart? You have a choice to make. Will you follow him or would you not? And remember who he's talking to here. He's not talking to a bunch of people who just met him. He's talking to the crowds who have heard the greatest sermon he ever preached. And he's talking here specifically to his disciples. And he lets them know, you can look the part and still not follow Jesus. You can be amazed and still not follow Jesus. And you can look the part and still not follow Jesus. He says, many will come to me and say, Lord, Lord, we did this, we did that, we did this, we did that. And Jesus says, and I will look at them and I will say, I never knew you. Depart from me, you evildoers. And then an interesting thing he says, if you're, if you're not doing the things he's taught, in, instead that word evildoers translates into those who are doing wickedness. He uses that word another time. The other time that he uses that same word for wickedness is in Matthew 24. Track, track with me on this for a minute because I think it's really important. In Matthew 24, Jesus is talking about the end times. He's talking about the last days. Anybody think we might be living in the last days? I mean, the Bible tells us that, that since the, the Holy Spirit was given to the church, that we're, we're living in what's called the last days. But we see ourselves moving closer and closer to the end times. And you might not be a prophecy expert. Let me just tell you this. The time of Jesus coming back is closer today than it was yesterday. Anybody? <laughs> I also know this. Your time to meet Jesus could be any time. None of us are promised tomorrow. We don't know what might hit us out of the blue. Matthew 24, verse 12. In Jesus talking about the last days, he says, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow. I don't like that word most. He says, because of the increase of wickedness. Anybody seen wickedness increasing? The love of most will grow cold, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Do not let your love grow cold. Can I just encourage you with this? Your love for Jesus, your heart for him, do not let your love grow cold. And in a world that's full of wickedness, Jesus warned us, hey, that will pull you away from me. Don't let your love grow cold. Listen to how Paul said it, Galatians chapter four, verse eight. He says, formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you're turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? Paul identifies that you and I will have a tendency at times to let our hearts grow cold and drift to backslide 
to wander away from the very one who died to save us. When Cyril of Alexandria, an early church father, read that passage about Jesus saying, depart from me, he asked the question, how many of those people will be people who actually started out with a fervent desire to follow Jesus? And over time, just kind of drifted away until one day Jesus said, I don't even know who you are. Read what Paul says. He, he says to Timothy, Timbo, you need to know this. And he called him Timbo in the last days. You don't read Greek. He called him Timbo. Just trust me. He says, <laughs> he says in the last days, the love of many is going to grow cold. People are going to fall away. People will chase after themselves. He writes to the church in Thessalonica and tells them in 2 Thessalonians 2 that at some point there will be a great falling away. I mean, can I talk to you honestly? You have to say, if Paul says it, and Jesus says it, shouldn't we be looking out for it? That there could be a great falling away. If we're living in the last days, if we're speeding towards the end times, wouldn't we expect that more and more people would literally walk away and pull away from their faith? After these last three crazy years that we've been through, do you know how many of us are spiritually depleted? And we don't have the spiritual resources that maybe we once had. We're so drained that we're not so sure we could, we could tap into God's power even if we needed to. And let's be super candid. In the last 12 months, I've watched too many people who I love and care about let their love grow cold. I've watched people slip away. And I want you to be aware. Yesterday I was mowing the grass and in our backyard we've got a couple of these small trees and one of the trees there's some wind chimes that, that hang there. And do you guys know how wind chimes work? I don't have to explain that, do I? You got the annoying tubes, do you know what I'm talking about? And you got the ringer dinger in the middle and then there's a, that's the technical term, and then there's a string that comes down and on the end of it is a, is a ball. I had never realized before that how I've hung that in the tree, the ball is exactly at the height of my right eye. <laughs> and so yesterday, I was mowing the grass. I was probably thinking about this sermon, to be honest, and I'm out there mowing the grass, and I'm watching the lines to make sure they're straight, and I look just in time just to get right in the eyeball. <laughs> didn't, even, didn't even see it coming. I was so glad when I woke up this morning and I didn't have a black eye. I have to explain what Rhonda didn't do to me, right? You know, like, <laughs> I would have... I would not have. I would have dodged that thing. I would not have let it pop me in the eye if I had seen it coming. Jesus says, watch out. Paul says, see it coming. Because in these days, the tendency to slip away, to let your love grow cold, is swinging right towards your eyeball. And I don't want to stand before Jesus and hear him say, I never knew you. Chad, how, how am I going to know? How am I going to know if my love has grown cold? And this is where we could get into a real theological argument. Like we could start talking about eternal security and we could talk about backsliding. We could talk about the book of Hebrews and we could do it all that. We can get into all that stuff, but there's an 1145 service and they're already getting restless. Here's all I know. Jesus said that the love that many had could grow cold. How am I gonna know if it is? I'll give you a couple of questions. Are you led by the way of the crowd or by the word of God? 
You walk in that narrow road or that broad way? Which one is determining the choices you make, the way of the crowd or the word of God? Are you bearing good spiritual fruit? And maybe a good question is, when was the last time that the Holy Spirit convicted you that the fruit you are bearing is rotten? Are you doing what Jesus taught? Because that's how you build your life. Amazement is not enough, and playing the part is not enough. Here's the third thing I want you to consider. The way into God's kingdom is to follow Jesus. It's not wow, and it's not just lip service. It's living the life. This is the point that Jesus is making. And here's my question. I, I know a lot of people who say, oh yeah, I know Jesus. I, 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 I love Jesus. I know Jesus. I know church this, and I know God that. I, I've got Christianity this figured out. Good people. Like people, maybe you, who, who subtly have gone to church on a regular basis. Your, your life, you, you would say, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. You would say, I know Jesus. The real question is, does Jesus know you? Does Jesus look at you and go, oh yeah, they're a follower. Their life is fully committed. They've, they've given themselves to living out the will of my Father, the word of God. You can say you know Jesus, but does Jesus say that he knows you? Every so often, um, I'll get a call in my office on my phone from the receptionist or somebody will come and knock on my door and they'll say, hey, do you know? I'll just make a name up. They say, hey, do you know, uh, do you know Bob Smith? Is anybody here named Bob Smith? I, went, I just went, because if you are, I'm not talking, it's, I'm, I'm just, yes, yeah, sorry, Bob. So they're like, do you know Bob Smith? I'm like, hmm, I don't know a Bob Smith. Oh, interesting, they say. Because Bob's on the phone and he says he's a good friend of Chad's. Oh, do you know why somebody says they're a good friend? Because they're a salesman. And they're trying to get past a receptionist or an assistant and get right to the person that they think has the decision-making power. So they will say they're a good friend. Chad, oh, I know Chad. And that's when Chad says, I don't, I don't know a Bob Smith. Typically when that happens, I just turn and I look at the person at the door and I say, tell them to depart from me. I never knew them. <laughs> Which is really not that funny, is it? because I don't ever want to hear those words. And I don't want you to hear those words. You can say you know Jesus, but does Jesus know you? Like, would he recognize you as a follower by the way you treat your family, your, your spouse, your kids? Do you look like a follower of Jesus when you're alone? The places where your mind goes. Do you spend time with Jesus outside of church, or does Jesus say, oh, yeah, I've, I've heard of them. I think we talked last Sunday, but I don't really know them. Look, you have a choice. Either one day you'll stand before Jesus, and he'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. Anybody want to hear that? Or you'll stand in front of him and hear him say, I don't know you. Depart from me. And that one puts you on the outside for eternity. Maybe the most 
chilling passage in all of scripture. You have a choice. What will you choose? I think a lot of you know, um, back from 2020 to 2022, our son Evan spent um, two years in Africa. He was serving in an assignment there, and about halfway through, Ron and I had saved up, and we said, well, we want to we go visit him. We want to see where he is. We want to do this. So in the fall of 2021, Ron and I went, and what we knew is that Evan had like some vacation time. They specifically had it designed so he could get out. He was in a really... Honestly, it's a very difficult kind of third world environment and desert, and it was like, it's good for him to get out of here. So we planned it in such a way so that we could go spend about a week with him, see kind of his life and meet the team he was with and do that. And then we were gonna find some place kind of between here and Africa where we could go and do some kind of a vacation where we could get him out of um, the desert and get us in a place that was wonderful, right? And so we, we looked at it. We looked at connecting flights and all the things that we could do. He says, well, let's, you know what? It just makes sense. Let's go to Italy. So we made these plans that after our time in Africa, we would, on the way back to the United States, Evan would go with us. We'd go to Italy, and then he'd go back to Africa. We'd come back home and just be, you know, perfect. So uh, we, had a great, we had a great visit, and uh, we left, you know, the town where he was at, and we got on the plane, and our connecting flight was in Istanbul, Turkey. And we had planned this trip. Like for, for weeks leading up to it, we had been doing research and Evan had done all this research and we, we had planned like the trip of a lifetime. The whole time we were there with him in Africa, every night we were in his apartment and we were buying tickets to events and we were making plans for how we were gonna do and we were finding restaurants. I mean, we're doing the whole thing to plan this trip. It was gonna be so cool. And we were in Istanbul, we had our flight land, we got a little something to eat, we got to the gate for our connecting flight, everything on time, everything smooth sailing. We were about to have the trip of a lifetime. We came up and before you could go through the gate, you had to kind of walk through and they were doing like a passport check and all that kind of stuff and looking at things. And so Rhonda and I went walking up and we handed them our ticket, we handed them our passport, they looked at things, says have a nice trip. And so we went over to wait to go through the gate and then Rhonda and me, we, we both did that kind of thing. Evan was behind us, he went through and they said, oh, oh hang on a minute they're like you're coming from Africa and we're like yeah and they said well remember 2021 does anybody remember COVID you remember masks the whole bit looked at looked at Evan and says well you can't you can't get on this plane because you're coming from a red zone a COVID red zone and Evan was like no no no, that's cool he's like I called the embassies before all this and they said it was okay and the guy said I don't care who you called You're not getting on this plane. We're literally from me to Leah to the gate to get on this plane. Like, I see it. It's that close. No, 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 you can't get on. And Evan's like, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. I called the MC. I called the airlines. And the airline said, no problem. You're all good. I don't care who you called. He says, you're not getting on this plane. We stood there for an hour arguing with them. The plane left without us. We spent another 11 hours arguing with the airline. And they just said over again, here's what we didn't know. While we were in Africa, Europe raised their restrictions. We had done everything we knew to do. And at the end, we didn't know that the COVID restrictions had gone up and we were not able to go from Africa into Europe. And we ended up having to come home as we love you, but we had to come home instead. It was probably, if, I, if you asked me to pick some of the top 10 worst days of my life, it's probably in the list. Because I was so close. And they said, no further. You can't come in. It was devastating. And not near as devastating 
as it would be to hear Jesus say the words. I don't even know you. Jesus isn't going to change the rules on you. The, the heavenly red zone restrictions are not going to get raised. But I don't ever want you to say that you didn't know. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment? In this room, watching on a screen somewhere. In just a moment, we're going to come to communion. We're going to come to the Lord's table. And there's no better time than this moment to make things right with God. Maybe you have never known Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And today's a day to say, Jesus, I give you my life. Or maybe as we've talked today, you've said, I've been more amazed than I've been a follower. Or I've been playing a part more than I've been a follower. And I know I don't, I don't want to stand in front of him and not hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. And today's a moment when you need to repent. Today's a moment when you need to choose. And you need to say, Jesus, I follow you. Before we come to the Lord's table, Paul tells us that we should examine ourselves to take a good look inside. Team's gonna lead us in singing an old song that has become new again. And it simply says, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And if you need to make things right with him, if today you need to say, Jesus, I follow you, there's no better time than right now, than this moment, to look at Jesus and say, Jesus, I follow you. Would you sing the words to this song? Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Let's sing that again. gone a little long and, and I'm asking you to be so kind and appreciative to those kids workers when you get down there today I haven't felt a heaviness like this in some time and some of you today need to just say Jesus I'm sorry for playing a part and I choose to follow you some of you in these next few moments when we share in communion, this is going to be the beginning of a whole new relationship with Jesus. 
because you're done just acting and you're choosing to be a follower. Not the crowd, but following Jesus Christ. Paul says that we should take a good look at ourselves. And if you need his forgiveness today, if you need his healing today, if you need to choose to follow him today, there's no time like right now to just say, Jesus, I give you my life. I ask you to take the communion elements and as you pull back that first layer, you take the bread and as you hold it in your hands, Paul, Paul says, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And Father, we thank you for the broken body of Jesus Christ. Jesus, that you gave yourself, not because we earned it or deserved it, not because of any righteous works that we've done, but according to your mercy, you saved us. And today we thank you for your sacrifice as we remember in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's share in the bread together. And as you open the cup, 1 Corinthians tells us that in the same way after supper, Jesus took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Jesus, we thank you for your shed blood. None of us deserve forgiveness, but you died so that we could know it. And your blood provides that life and that healing and that hope. And we remember your sacrifice today. In Jesus' name. Let's share in the cup together. You stand with me today as we close in a word of prayer. As we close in prayer, you'll be dismissed to go. The team's going to continue to sing that song because I want it to ring in your ears as you go out into this week. Father, we love you. Thanks for your word. Thanks that you love us so much that you would so clearly say to us these words to help us to know to build our lives on you. Lord, as we go from here, we ask that you would go with us. Lord, we look forward to the day when we'll hear you say, well done, good and faithful servant. So would you help us to live out lives as followers of Jesus with your special favor and your wonderful peace. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, God bless you. Have a great week. Thanks for being here. We'll see you next Sunday.
Straight.